session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let's get to the books of the week. The book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is in the Shadow of Young Girls in Flower by Marcel Proust. This is um, the second of seven volumes of In Search of Lost Time. So I read Swan's Way last month, and this is book two. Got a little bit of a jump start on it um, because it's a longer book, but look forward to completing that and discussing it with you on next Monday's show. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight is Afro-Iran by Mahdi Essayi. And so I saw the pictures from this book. Mostly it's a book of photographs that um, captures images of individuals who are Iranian living in Iran, but who are of African descent. And um, so when I saw the images, I was drawn to the book. And I think it's it's an important book for us to have, but this is a very delicate topic to discuss when we discuss something like this and i'll get into some of those issues i'll try my best to navigate them the best that i can Um, but i i'm glad i had the book and i read the pages and looked at the photographs of course it is black history month in the united states and so i did also want to look at the black history but also present and future of uh, the iranian community as well and so in this book, as I mentioned, um, Mahdi Essay, he travels mostly in the south of Iran in certain regions. And there are pictures of children, adults, um, elderly individuals, markets, different aspects of life um, of Iranians of African descent. And as I said, we always want to be mindful of these types of um discussions or situations where we talk about a certain group or we we look at a certain group and we say, um, let's look at them because it it can come off as a us and them type of a dynamic. And uh, so an article by Bita Barulizadeh, she talks actually about this book. And I think she does a good job of bringing up some of the issues we want to be aware of and mindful of that when we are even taking pictures or documenting something the way we do it can be very uh important because it could either be a way that we're looking at look at them or it can be done in a way that says this is part of all of us all of us human beings and this is the same issue i at times have with people who for example will go to skid row in los angeles and sometimes they'll take pictures of the individuals who might be experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles. Uh, And sometimes it's done in a very good way of documenting the experiences of certain people and what they're going through and how we want to be mindful of them and look at the suffering and um, the poverty that exists in a city as rich and wealthy as uh, Los Angeles uh, within a country like the United States. But other times you can see that it's done with an eye of almost 
look at these people almost like a museum. Uh, and I've even worked with some families, and they said, we want our children to care about individuals who have different experiences from our children, which is good. But sometimes they think the way to do that is to take them to look at people like some kind of a museum experience, that they are so the other and they are being objectified in that way. And we want to be very careful about that. And so that's why I wanted to make sure when we look at this conversation uh, in this book, Afro-Iran, I think it's very important to recognize that there is this tendency that uh, what is considered Iranian might conjure up certain images, even for Iranians themselves around the world, and it might not include black Iranians. And so it's important for us to document this and to share this in a way that does bring recognition, but with awareness that we don't make it seem like they are uh, another or the the other, an us and them type of a dynamic. And so in the pictures, I think all but one of them only have the Afro-Iranians, which itself that term uh, might not be um, the best representation, but all of them include black Iranians. I think one had an image where it had one child that was not... Uh, black, and that's one of the uh, issues that was brought up by Bita Bagulizade, if I recall, that it makes it seem that they are separate completely. Now, there are might be some regions that have more of the black Iranian population, but they don't only exist in isolation. This can contribute to a sense of a us and them. So that's something uh, important and, and worth keeping in mind. Um, but I did find the images quite um, fascinating, and I was looked through them a few times again last night and even today, and you did get a sense of the people, and, and I think, again, we should give credit to Mahdi Esai for taking this journey and to uh, document something that might not be documented very much. I also want to um, recognize, um, I think it's the Collective of Black Iranian Voices, something like that. I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, on Instagram, you can even find them on my page. I follow the, them. Um, but sharing the experiences of Black Iranians by Black Iranians. So even I myself today, of course, um, am speaking as just an individual, but I can't share a certain individual story from um, what they experienced because, of course, I don't experience that. The reason I wanted to talk about it on the show was because of not just when it comes to um, black Iranians who might not be recognized and might have not really the same recognition or understanding as far as what it means to be Iranian or how we view Iranians, it, also looking at prejudice and discrimination within the Iranian community that I see in different levels, which I will also get to. Um, but the text in the book is fairly short, as I mentioned, and it does talk about uh, how African um, individuals of African descent were in Iran and primarily a lot of it was through slavery, not only through slavery, but this is something that at times Iranian history or Iranians try to distance themselves from. There's also a tendency to talk about Islamic slavery and how that's different from traditional slavery and somehow try to make it seem okay. Uh, there might be some rules or regulations within it that might be different than typical traditional cattle cha uh, um, chattel sorry slavery but it doesn't mean that it's somehow okay and so uh, or we should gloss over it or say no they were okay actually um, reading some articles today of how oftentimes there's a way of kind of trying to make this seem like well they were actually 
part of the family because they lived in the home. But this is a very much a way of trying to sugarcoat the history to make it seem more okay. So as is the case, when we look at our history, a lot of Iranians, of course, like to look at the great Persian cultural traditions from the great poets to um, things like the Cyrus Cylinder being uh, one of the, the first document of human rights, in a way, or Declaration of Human Rights. But we also have to look at all aspects of it. We don't want to ignore the parts that we don't think make us look good or might not be good. We have to look at that whole picture because, in a way, if we try to uh, remove that part, we might remove First of all, the history and what's happened and what people have experienced, but also the current experience of individuals who are Iranian and most importantly are human beings. And we might forget or not include them in our present and our future as well. And I think that's very important. Uh, even this term Afro-Iran or Afro-Iranian, as uh, Bita Bagulizadeh talks about uh, in one of her articles, it's something that's used primarily more in academia or scholarship, but individuals who might be identified as that uh, racial group or ethnic group might not think of themselves that way either. So we have to be aware of even those terms that we use or this hyphenated uh, way that we talk about individuals. For example, I'm often referred to, we'd say, as an Iranian-American of Iranian descent, but born and raised in the United States in America. So Iranian-American. Um, but is it really that easy to split those two things apart? And in a way, are you differentiating them from the rest of the Iranians when you say uh, Afro-Iranian? So I think those are some interesting and important points to consider that we should keep in mind. Um, now, another thing that's related to, of course, racism, we've all heard that term. One that's less common is, or we don't hear as often, is colorism. Now, colorism would be oftentimes occurring within a race or ethnic group, but judging people based on skin color, and very often throughout history and even in the present, this has been preferring lighter shades of skin to darker shades, even within the same cultural or ethnic group. And we definitely have this in the Iranian population. I've seen it firsthand. I've heard so many comments, and I've experienced it um, with families I've worked with, and even personally, looking at people uh, who have lighter or darker skin and people treating them differently. Or even myself, within my family, I, I didn't talk to my brother before this, but my brother has slightly darker skin than me, and I remember growing up and feeling that distinction from some members of outside family or extended family, not within the home. But I remember hearing some comments at time that made it clear some preference that somehow my skin color was preferable to my own brother. So within the same family, even saying that that lighter skin is preferable to the darker one. And so this is something we have to also come to terms with within our Iranian community in general. And when we look at Iranians from African descent, which are um, as Iranian as any of us, and even there, I should catch myself, I said any of us, which makes it very clear even in my, maybe unconsciously or comfortably, I say it in that way, which creates that distinction or shows that distinction. So something for me to reflect on myself, but individuals from um, African descent who are Iranian, they are as Iranian as anyone who is considering themselves Iranian as well, and something for us to think about and make sure we don't forget. 
Now, related to this, I also wanted to talk about with Noru's Persian New Year coming up, there is um, an individual who is part of the, or considered traditionally part of the celebrations, Haji Firuz. And Haji Firuz is, usually has dark, or you know, what's considered in America, we'll talk about blackface, and it's something that's very much not acceptable because of its links to minstrel shows where uh, black Americans who were slaves or recently freed slaves were shown played by white actors but wearing black something type of makeup to make them look black and would be making fun of them making them look silly goofy lazy all these horrible things um also sometimes making them seem that they were happy to be slaves or they were joyful they were always feeling good so there's that tradition and actually what we see with haji firuz has a similar feel to it now some people will say he's covered in soot or so it's not actually that he is dark skin but uh, some of the research i did seems to point that that's not the case that he was in fact of dark skin and not only that he wasn't just a jovial individual he was a slave or he has a master and there's a, a nurse not a nursery rhyme but a rhyme that is part of um some of the noru songs that includes that he is um has a master so my master hold your head up high my master look at yourself my master the billy goat my master why don't you laugh i, I the translation is also here uh in farsi or fingalisi i probably could read it but i'll, I'll leave it at that so uh, haji firuz is a slave and he again is shown as joyful and he, he's happy or okay with that um but uh that is something that i would think we should think about what is that representing or what does that say now there's a lot of this talk you know we see cancel culture people trying to take down monuments people saying we should look back in history and someone who we celebrated actually we should see, should see that they're not so good after all and change the way we view them. And some people think that um, we should uh, not, uh, you know, change these types of traditions either. Why should we consider, um, you know, you know, it's Haji Firuz, it's something playful, it's fun, it doesn't really have significance, it's not, nothing negative is meant by it. But we should consider, if we're talking here about trying to make all Iranians feel Iranian, if you were a member uh, of the Iranian community who had darker skin or from African descent, how might you feel when this is part of the celebration that is acceptable? And so I don't think, I do think traditions and rituals have a lot of value. They definitely do. They can be very important in creating a sense of community, a sense of connection, connection to our past, connection to our present selves, future selves, all of that, which can be very good. But it doesn't mean they're also something invincible that we can't look at, that they um, are immune to being evaluated and can be changed. Traditions change throughout time. It happens all the time. For example, this might not be seen as the same as a tradition, but when people, uh, you know, we say cheers and you hit your glasses together, that's in a way commemorating, maybe commemorating is not the right word, but in a replacement of what used to be that you would pour some of your drink in each other's cups to prove that you haven't poisoned the cup. So you're saying, of course, I didn't poison your drink, so I can pour it into your cup and my cup, and that's okay. Now we just clink our glasses and we think, you know, it's just cheers. And if you don't do it, some people, they feel like it's bad, or some people say you have to do eye contact or different things. We feel like we need to do that, and it has some significance. 
the significance of traditions, of course, it's the historical aspects, but it's also what it represents. In and of itself, it doesn't mean it has to have value. It has value because of what we create in that shared value that we give to it together. So, for example, uh, in the United States, if you give someone a thumbs up, that's that's good. In Iran, if you give someone a thumbs up, they won't be so happy with you. It means basically the same as the middle finger here in the United States. Now, that's a little bit different than tradition, but it's that same element of we give meaning to things. Uh, so in reading this book, I, I did think about Haji Firuz, I've thought about this before too and talked about it with friends and family about what does that represent and is that something that we would want to be part of our New Year celebrations? To me, it's something definitely worth considering. I think something we can do without and would be better to do without and replace or change that. Um, and that would be one step amongst many and I'll discuss more in the show about creating a unified or more unified, less prejudiced Iranian community, and of course, overall global community. So let's go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I've been discussing the book Afro-Iran by Mahdi Esai, and also talking about um, prejudice and racism within the Iranian community or the uh, Iranian diaspora around the world, how we treat different groups. And so something that comes up that's related to this, and I'd highly recommend the book, um, The Limits of Whiteness, On the Limits of Whiteness by Neda Maghboulay. Am I quoting that exactly right? Something like that, On the, Lim the Limits of Whiteness by Neda Maghboulay. You maybe remember about a year and a half ago, I had her on the show to discuss her book. I think it's a, a wonderful book that is very much related to this topic, looking at and trying to understand the what is our, the ethnic or racial background of Iranians. Because um, as she talks about that limits of whiteness, in some ways we're considered white, and even in America, legally in some ways we're considered white. But then in a lot of ways we're not treated uh, as whites, or we still face discrimination in, in different ways, especially after, for example, 9-11 here in the United States because of uh, the individuals who committed that act being Middle Eastern, we were not treated so kindly after that, and we saw a rise in even hate crimes against Middle Easterners, including Iranians, uh, and even dealing with issues with uh, being even um, incarcerated or taken in for questioning, different things like that. Even I, I shared when I discussed the book Black Banners that me and my brother and cousin were taken off a plane by the FBI a few days after 9-11. So we don't really get treated in some ways like white, but something that we seem to want and this again goes back to both i know this term is thrown out a lot and so sometimes maybe people think of it as just a term that's um, screamed out to say something's not okay but there is a sort of white supremacy that we iranians can play into that we want so bad to prove that we are white or aryan even sometimes saying we're the original aryans or the only aryans um, and when we look at this from a really historical perspective, it's not true. It doesn't seem to uh, hold any water that we are the original uh, Aryans in some way. What does that even mean? It's, it's not so clear. But I've heard that so many times since I was uh, a child. And this is one of those things, the, these kinds of myths can, you hear them so much, you think it must be true because you hear it from so many different people. But of course, people say it to one another and it spreads and you think it's some kind of truth. But 
There, there really isn't any truth to it. But even again, the fact that we want to be seen as that shows that there is this sense that that would make us superior, make us better than others, or we would lose some status if we lost that. And I would hope that as Iranians first, we understand that history, that it's not truth. Um, and secondly, recognize that by playing a part in this or showing that we want to be white and Aryan so bad, we are contributing towards the, the discrimination and the prejudice and racism that is taken out on darker individuals or non-white individuals. And, and again, even we should look at, are we even white or non-white? Um, we are probably somewhere in that limit. And this is another indication of the ways that we look at some of these issues of race. When we say it's socially constructed, it's because there isn't these clear lines of what is white, what is black, um, what makes someone of this race, someone of that race. It's not so clear. And so here we see that again, where, well, what are we as Iranians? It's not so clear to me, but to cling to this sense that we are the original Aryans, I think, again, it's not even true. And first of all, we shouldn't care, but we are contributing to racism when we make this such a priority or a strong point. Iranians in general, like many cultures, even when you look at, for example, Indian culture with the caste system, it's very important or we have, we place a lot of importance, or we think there's a lot of importance of who you are as far as how you were born into this world, what group, class um, you are in. And so Iranians still hold on to these things. My family is this, or my family was descendants of this person or that person, because we feel that that's going to affect our status in the world, our outcomes. In the Indian caste system, you sometimes literally have your life dictated, essentially, more or less, especially before. It's becoming less, but still not um, so much by the caste you were born into. You have It's out of your hands completely. Iranians, we might not have it to that degree, but we do hold on to this very strongly, that it's so important to be born into something, or even the way we talk about um, being... Uh, you know, Iranian is that we are born from these great poets and this great cultural background. So it already makes me better than. Uh, I don't think anyone is born into this world better than anyone else. It's what you do with your life that gives you value or makes you uh, live a valuable life. You are not just a valuable gem born into this world. It's based on how much of those gems within yourself you express and share with the world that really determines who you are. So you're not born, uh, you know, noble. You are, or we are all born noble to a degree, we could say, or equally noble, but it's based on what we do with that. Uh, this even goes back to things like being born into royalty. If you were born into the royal family, your life is set. Born into nobility, your life is set in different ways. But if you're born into, let's say, a peasant class, your life is set in another way, set horribly. And you really didn't have a lot of room. We still hold on to these things. And so unfortunately, I see within the Iranian community so much prejudice, hierarchy, I don't know if I guess you can say tabaqa bandi, so to speak, where you put people in different hierarchies based on who they are. And um, you respect someone or you disrespect someone based on those things where really I would hope everyone is worthy of respect, but we don't afford everyone the same respect because we look at who they are within um, this hierarchy and the structure that we have. And it exists in many different ways. Uh, from, as I was mentioning, skin color is one, 
which is a big one, and I've seen that very strongly myself. Even regions of where people are from is so important. Um, if you were born from Tehran, if you were born in um, Shiraz, if you were born in different cities, people will already assume different things and put you on a hierarchy. Or if you were born in the villages, Dahati, you were considered somehow lower usually, at least that's like the association. And I'll share some of the things. I'm definitely not an expert um, in any way on these issues. Not only am I not an expert, I was born in the United States exposed minimally to some of these things. But even still, what I think is interesting is I've absorbed many of these stereotypes. Hopefully I don't think of people in that way, or I'll try to challenge that. But I'm just sharing that I've heard these stereotypes myself and understand that this is how people think of other individuals, and we take them for granted. And this goes back to how our minds together can create a social reality. In, in the book, um, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain by Lisa Feldman Barrett that I talked about back in November, she did a great job of illustrating this point that these things can feel so real when it feels like all of us believe them. Because if we all believe it, it must be true. It's not that we've all created this reality. It's that we have um, actually... Uh, there isn't a truth to it. We've actually developed it's just like something like money. Money feels so real, almost natural. You think, of course, we have to care about money. But money didn't always exist in human history, uh, and it doesn't have to have the value and significance it does now. I'm not saying starting tomorrow we could get rid of it easily. It's very complex. But when we think of money, it feels so automatic that you wouldn't think that it's something we've socially created, but it is. And the same is true of things like race and racism, colorism, white supremacy related to that, and even the ways we think of different groups, for example, in Iran. So um, even in the book, it said it in a way, maybe some of it was lost in translation. In the few pages, um, it said, you know, Turks, or we say, like you say, Turks, uh, you know, the, the, there's so many jokes. Um, and it said they... Uh, they only happen to speak with a funny accent and enjoy the status of the butt of all Iranian jokes. Now, enjoy the status. I'm not sure if they enjoy it, but I remember from a very young age, in a sense, I'm going to say knowing with quotes that Turks were considered not very smart. Or if there was a joke to call someone stupid, it would be about them. Um, and I didn't know much, but I heard it so much. It was just every... Every dinner party, every time people would say jokes, that was a common theme. I would hear that. And you pick that up. Again, I didn't really even know what made someone torque or not, or I probably couldn't tell you the difference or spot one, but I knew this generalization. And it felt so real when really I had no understanding of it uh, in real sense, but it was just something I had heard. Or, or I know this one's less maybe... You know, might not be as negative, but um, I know people from Shiraz, for example, are known to be lazy. And I know my father's from Shiraz, and as you probably know, he's not a very lazy person. He's very hardworking. Um, I guess when we look at prejudices, sometimes we think um, this, you know, he's an exception to it because we, we don't want to lose uh, the prejudice because we believe it to be so true. We want to cling to it. But that's another one that I know. Uh, an interesting one, and I don't know how much, how well I'll be able to explain this, but people from Rasht, and this is, I, I, I'll be delicate here because what I have heard in so many jokes, again, no idea about, and even people I can't really tell you who would be from Rasht or not, but my understanding is, um, and I, I say this with all apologies 
as I even say it, is that the women were considered to be unfaithful to their husbands. You hear a lot of jokes like that. I hope I'm saying uh, I've gotten the, well, I don't know if I hope I even got it right, but that's far as the, the stereotype goes. And what's interesting from some things I have heard, so they say that the women are unfaithful, but really what this is likely coming from is that actually the people of Rasht were the ones that were most likely to have the women get educated or they were educated first compared to other regions. And we know that very often when it comes to women getting educated or being given power, people get stressed out about that or the people who are in power don't like for people to gain power or to gain something. So it's almost in a sense we can see that it's out of fear that this prejudice or stereotype was created. So it's that if you give your women education, um, you know, this is going to be the result. Or in a way, um, you better, you need to suppress them because if you don't, they're going to do these things. They're going to go. And so if you give them power and let them, uh, you know, have the right to get educated, this is going to be the result in some way projecting some of their own fears. So it appears that this stereotype really was not based on any reality. It was based on a reaction of actually what to me would be that they were more progressive and rash. They were being open-minded and more uh, humanitarian or more of a human rights perspective. But they were being in that way punished to say, look how bad they are that they are letting their women have power. Of course, it wasn't presented in that way. It was presented in a... Um, indirect way, which is often how propaganda and these kinds of things work. Now, when I say propaganda, I don't mean necessarily there was one group that was, you know, creating some kind of conspiracy, but that this is the way that these types of jokes at times get perpetuated. Then you hear it so much, you might think that there is some truth to that. And your automatic reaction might be to think that certain people from certain groups are going to have these certain characteristics, but it's based on nothing but these jokes, which might even be based on something that was almost the opposite. Again, this is something was good, was forward thinking, but it was presented in a way to make it look bad. And to me, that's a very interesting thing to look at. Um, and even as I'm looking, I can't see all the comments here on the Instagram live, but some people say, well, why do these jokes happen? Which in a way might be saying that they're probably starting from some type of truth. Now, at times, not the ones I talked about, for example, people from Rash or other ones, there can be some truths to a stereotype that might reflect something in a culture. So a culture might be more, let's say, collectivist or it might be more individualistic or other things. But it doesn't mean the people, something in their DNA necessarily or genetically, they are something better or worse, or already have that characteristic, it could be reflective of the culture, not about, you know, who, who they are. Um, another group, I'll mention this again, this is from my own experience, which is very limited, but I do want to share it. And I'm sure many people could speak to this much better than I can. But I've seen that, for example, Iranians who are Afghan are treated poorly. I've worked with families, I've worked with clients who themselves were Afghan or individuals who someone in their family was going to date someone and saw how palpable was this way of looking down on individuals who are Afghan and seeing them as different from Iranians, not as good as whatever the standard was. And so 
I do think it's important for us to look at some of these things, which I think, sadly, it can feel so automatic that, again, as some of the comments I've seen, it make it's, makes us feel like, well, there's probably some truth to it if we see them in that way. And no, that's not. That's just our own projection of things. Usually there's many factors that leads to the development of different types of prejudices and stereotypes. I don't know this well enough, but I do know that I see this prejudice. In some ways, I definitely am less knowledgeable and experienced when it comes to Iranian cultural stereotypes, judging people from different groups. But I also have this advantage of being outside of it in a way that I'll hear about people from different groups and then see the way people talk about them. And I, at times, if I haven't heard about that particular group or issue, um, might see that it doesn't make sense. Why are you saying the people that are from this or that group are one way or the other. It, that, it gives me a little bit of an outside perspective, which makes me less knowledgeable, but does afford me some of that, I don't want to say complete objectivity, of course, but maybe more objective, because I didn't hear all of the different things. Um, some of them I did hear different jokes as I was talking about of different groups, but sometimes I am not as aware of how deeply entrenched these things are, where someone who was maybe born in Iran takes it for granted as a given, but I actually see them like, well, that doesn't make sense. Now, I might hold on to similar discrimination or prejudice about certain groups that I might not be aware of because of where I was raised. But it is interesting that when we look from the outside, sometimes it seems silly. And this happens in a lot of uh, regions. For example, if you go to some areas, to you, everyone might look the same. But within that group, they might see three different groups. And those groups might have strong prejudice and discrimination against each other. And to you, it can seem silly. Well, they all look the same to me if it's a, a group you're not very familiar with or don't have a lot of exposure to. But it's the same thing that you are doing within your own group, something that you should be aware of. Now, let's get to our uh, last commercial break. I'll, I'll continue on this topic when we come back. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I've been continuing the discussion based on the book Afro-Iran, which uh, features photographs of individuals who are of African descent living in um, Iran and to make some people aware uh, that there are Iranians of African descent or um, Iranians who might have darker skin than what you might consider as the typical Iranian. And you realize, as is the case with almost any cultural group, ethnic group, there is so much range and diversity which within each group, more diversity than we would say between groups. Now, during the commercial break, someone uh, asked a question on the Instagram Live, which in a way brought up this issue of us and them, which is a very human, and really probably all animals, but a human distinction that we can make. Even babies, when I was reading the book, um, How We Speak, I believe it was called, by Catherine Kinsler, I hope I'm saying her name right, um, we see that even infants can start to have an affinity or preference for individuals speaking their native language. By native, I mean the language they're hearing at home. So we see that they seem to have a preference towards them. And even as they get older, if they see people playing with certain toys, the ones that are playing uh, or talking in their language, they'll prefer to take the toy from them. Once they get a little bit older and could, let's say, grab a toy, they prefer their own language speakers, which is actually she was 
talking about in that book how language is actually one of the last frontiers when it comes to discrimination in the sense that we sometimes even forget or don't realize that we discriminate so much based on language or even within the same language based on accent. Um, and actually in the Iranian community, you see that as well, that you know we discriminate a lot based on different accents and people from different groups. We, we talk about them based on their accents as well. So this can be disheartening when people hear it looks like we're innate. Sometimes people will say based on these types of research, and there's other ones as well, preferring faces, for example, in babies, that it seems like it's innate for us to be racist. It's innate for us to discriminate. And there's some truth to that, that it's innate for us to be able to discriminate, and we do that. But what that means who is considered us and them can change, and also how we treat us and them can also change. It's not something set in stone. And so this goes back to our consideration of what we look at when we say, um, what does it mean to be us and what does it mean to be them, that we actually can change that. It's not always the same, even though it feels so significant. So you might think if you were... Uh, Iranian your whole life that that's us and everyone non-Iranian is them and it feels so real you might have an emotional connection to that but these things can change and let me give you an example of how this can change so uh, a good example I remember one of my professors at UCLA said so I went to uh, undergraduate my bachelor's degree at UCLA and UCLA has a rival school USC and especially when you're there, these two schools, in a way, hate each other. You know, when they play in sports, they are very much against each other. When they are, um, even academically, we always will talk about well, who's better. Oh, that's the safety school, the easy one. You'll talk about, about that one. Um, USC, they'll have different, you know, ways of abbreviating it. I won't even get into But anyway, very against each other. So when you're at UCLA or at USC, you feel like you really don't like those people. But my professor said, imagine you're in some foreign country and you didn't speak the language. And let's say, you know, I'm from UCLA, but I'm in this foreign country. I don't speak the language. I'm lost. I can't find myself. And I see someone wearing a USC sweater. Probably what will come to my mind is like, oh, someone like me because I'll say they're probably an American, they can help me figure out where to go or we can at least be together and uh, you know, find our way around. So all of a sudden, this person who, if I was in Los Angeles and on my UCLA campus or going around the campus or around the city, I would think of this USC person as such a them. All of a sudden, when I'm in this foreign country, I will realize how much of a us we are together. And so our understanding of us and them is not set in stone. So we can discriminate as far as uh, differentiate, maybe I should even say. Differentiation we can always do. Even skin color. We'll always be able to see the difference of the skin color. It's if we put different value on people based on their skin color. That's the issue. Or their race. Or male versus female. Or sexual orientation. You might be able to notice these things, but it doesn't mean it has to lead to some type of discrimination. I, I talked recently about the case... I think it was Jane Elliott, the name of the teacher, who in her classroom the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, wanted to show them a lesson about discrimination. And so she separated the brown-eyed kids with the blue-eyed kids and said one day that the brown-eyed kids were worse and the blue-eyed kids were smarter and all these things. And 
spouted all of this type of uh, prejudice about one group and the other, and the kids started to treat each other poorly, started to band together with the people of their same eye color, um, and felt even bad about themselves if they were part of the, the inferior group, felt good about themselves if they were part of what was considered the superior group. And also to show them how malleable this was, of course, not telling them beforehand, she said the next day, oh, actually, I got it backwards. The brown-eyed children are actually the superior ones. The blue ones are the ones that are weak and whatever else words she used to make them think that. And she saw things reverse. Now, we hear a story like that and we think, oh, you know, these cute, sweet kids and how they just really, you know, they're not making sense, but they're kind of just trying to, you know, not be smart enough to understand the world. But we don't realize that that's exactly what we do in this world. We've picked certain things or certain things have become so significant and we treat people bad. We've fought wars, we kill, we still hurt one another based on these things, but we don't realize how insignificant they are. This us and them that we've created that feels so important is not something that needs to be so salient or so significant. So with your kids, you know, this is something that in the United States, they've talked about a post-racial America. So after Barack Obama was elected president, a lot of people talked about, well, racism is, is over. Racism no longer exists because if a black individual in the United States has ascended to the highest office in the land, then that must mean that racism is over. And even some people say, well, racism doesn't not only does racism not exist, race doesn't exist. We don't see each other. And so race, as I mentioned before, even with something like money, it's a social construct, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Just like money is a social construct, but of course it has value. Sadly, lives are made and lost and people lose their lives um, because of not having money or even over money. Relationships are, are damaged because of it. So it has value in society, even though it doesn't necessarily inherently have that value. The same is true of race. It doesn't necessarily inherently have a value, but it's still in our world, sadly, does have a value in the sense that it leads to lots of discrimination, hatred, and a, a whole bunch of other negative things. So it does exist in that way. So we can't pretend like race doesn't exist. And for yourselves, or if you're raising your children, I would hope that you don't try to tell them there's no such thing don't, you know, don't see it because they'll see people look different. What you want to be aware of is the significance you show them it has. Do we look down on certain groups? I hope not. And I really do hope, uh, you know, the, the question, someone made a comment and they, they explained they meant it differently. They said, how sad that we would look down on people that speak the same language, which can feel true. But then we would hope we extend that that why, should we look down on anyone? Should we ever look down on any person because of uh, the group that they are from, the color of their skin, the color of their hair. Uh, you know, even when I say color of their hair, we might think, oh, that's so silly because we don't do that. You don't really do that. Some people might, but it's very rare. But again, it's not really so different from color of skin, which does have so much significance and does feel to be so real. So I think it's uh, very important um, to think about this issue of how we look at differences. You will see them but how you treat people is the important part. So if you have your kids and they see people that might look different, the way you respond will be very important to them or the ways you introduce them to different groups of individuals or how you talk about them. Uh, I've talked a lot, of, a lot on this show and even to parents, sometimes we don't realize the comments you make, oh, those people, 
or if you keep talking about something, oh, you know, uh, Asians people and this people, or oh, men and women, this is really important. We give value to certain differences, and your children will learn that difference and will affect the way that they, they treat people, they treat others. What you want to hopefully teach your children, I know it might seem idealistic, but is to recognize the good in all people. Even when you talk about your culture, so this book, uh, Afro-Iran, so it might be Iranian culture. I hope you will teach your children about their Iranian culture and heritage, but I would also hope you actually teach them about other cultures as well. Or at least let them know this is ours, we love it, and this is you know from our people, but others have others, and that's beautiful as well. Um, the analogy I use for this is when we look at our ancestors or our cultures, we, we love it and we want it to be special. But let's think about our babies. So yesterday I saw, I've mentioned her a lot. She's one of the more commonly mentioned people, my cousin Pega's baby, Colette. I saw her, I was holding her, was so happy to be with her, hugged and kissed her so many times. And to me, she's so special. And when I think about babies, she pops into my head and she's so special. And I do think she's amazing. And to me, she's very special and has a unique uh significance and of course to her mother pega she has more than it would be to me and so to pega let's say my cousin colette is this her baby and so she's responsible to take care of it and it is her job to actually take care of it but now i would hope that even she as much as she loves her baby doesn't think her baby is better than other babies her baby is special because it's her baby that she gets to take care of and love and create this relationship with but it doesn't make her baby superior to other babies and you can see the value in other babies and even see a she can see another mom with her baby or a dad with their baby and say oh I, I can imagine I know I can know what they feel like for their child because I feel that for my child but it doesn't mean my child is better or worse than theirs they are different they are ours and that's beautiful and so we can have that same feeling about our ancestors and our culture everyone who has their own ancestors and their culture they will feel a love for them and they could feel a connection to them but it doesn't mean it's because they're better than the other ancestors or the cultures from the other places okay you like uh this kind of a you know whatever is part of your culture this is what we have and we can share it with one another but unfortunately as is often the case with other things that we have we are always looking at how we compare with one another to put ourselves above oh because see look we come from this long line of poets and artists. And did you know this was invented by Persian culture? And this was so we are more wise and, and smarter than other people because we come from this. When really, to me, that doesn't mean anything at all. But we're looking for our way to make ourselves superior when we're not. We're not inferior, but we are equal and we are the same. And we do better by loving our culture, our ancestors, just like we would love that baby. It is ours, so we love it for that sense, but it's not better than others. And in a way, all of these cultures can be mine as well as I learn about them and understand them. There doesn't have to be this hierarchy in the differentiation. You can hear the different music and say, oh, there's differences in this music. I can hear the difference in the types of even notes that are used, the rhythms, different things, but it doesn't mean one is just superior and one is inferior. They're just different ways of creating music, which can both be beautiful, and we can see that. Uh, as kind of a side note, this is really random, but I do think it's funny that one of the things that Iranians were so proud of is, 
uh, our poets and our, some of our artists. And so we look back and we'll talk about them and there's something that give us so much pride. But if your child wants to become an artist, <laughs> you feel that it's a, a betrayal or an embarrassment or a shame to, to your family uh, and even to your ancestors. So it's kind of funny that we praise our ancestors that were artists who created uh, art and c contributed to our culture. But if your own child wants to become an artist, somehow that can be uh, a shame and embarrassment and you'll do anything you can to make sure they don't become that. But, but coming back to this point, we will we'll see differences. That's okay. And actually even the way that we see them and how significant they are will become less as you see the differences less of this us and them. But it can be important that we will be able to always have an us and them, but it doesn't mean that that us and them has to be significant and also who you include in us can change it, it can include all human beings it could even include all living beings that you'll have respect for all human uh, living beings i even think and this might sound a little bit crazy but maybe someday if we encounter species or living beings on another planet uh, another galaxy and you know what we call aliens um there will be a time where we'll have to figure out a way of seeing them as, as a us. At first, they'll definitely feel like a them. Every movie we see with aliens, of course, they're coming usually invading in negative ways. Sometimes we'll see some nice ones like E.T., but that might be another frontier of this us and them that we will have to figure out. Uh, we will have to um, find a way to actually see an us with them as well, which I think is kind of interesting. I know a little bit far-fetched, but I think there will be that day. I think based on how many um, galaxies and the universe as, as infinitely vast as it is, there probably is life on other planets. That's its own discussion, I know. But um, someday we might have to deal with this kind of intergalactic type of a thing. So it'll be, uh, you know, universism like or i guess we're all part of the same universe galaxism people from different galaxies or beings from different galaxies so us and them goes through many transformations throughout our human history and this universal history but it doesn't mean that just because we see an us and them that first of all we can't change that to include everyone in that us and even when you see distinctions that you have to necessarily treat people poorly or differently because of that all right that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Big thank you as always to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. Mm -hmm.